Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello there, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I am as ever Johnny. And I am also Johnny. Oh, are you now? Yes, this is yes, a... I, we've decided that it's a two Johnny's podcast. Which I have done in the past, but about a different subject matter. Well, maybe one day that subject matter will come back up. I know that you're a fan of that subject matter. How cagey do you want us to be about that? Oh, I don't care. Because you were going to do an <laughs> F1 podcast and you had a couple of episodes and then your friend who did it, didn't he move away or? Moved to Australia, moved yes. to Australia. So if you're out there, Johnny, one day, one we'll, day. we'll record another episode of our, our fantastic Formula One podcast. But anyway, In that truth, is actually Callum over there. It is there. Callum. And, uh, and I am Johnny. Um, one of the few larks that we have on this rambunctious, fun podcast for fun and funniness. And today, so what, what we do when we record a podcast is we um, do a kind of like one minute test before where we go back and listen to the audio. As some of you who listened to the first podcast might have noticed that it was a bit quiet. So something we do now to, to make sure that that is okay. It's one of the few notes we had on episode one. Yeah. Too quiet. So, because of that, um, when we did that, I caught Callum out on purpose by saying I'm Callum. And Callum evidently decided to uh, steal that from me for vengeance. The, the new ones. I call so, that vengeance. Except you didn't trick me. Well, I think I almost tricked you. Uh, you did, yeah. So I also know I better win. than to try and do some vengeance on Johnny, because on a small tangent, and it's very funny, <laughs> when we went to India... Uh, we went on holiday to India several years ago, and I took a picture of him with uh, at a restaurant where there were sort of dancers, and they brought him up to dance, and I made a, a coy comment. I said, Johnny has found himself a wife. The entire rest of that holiday, he trolled me by taking pictures of me, so I should know better by now. Yeah, you can't out-fox a fox, that's what I'm saying. Yes, it's very true. 
But yeah, on to the next part. So this is the magic. This is the magic. The magic is beginning and now. The, also, the magic is untitled podcast. Have we thought of a better name yet? I certainly haven't. No. Well, what about yourselves? I haven't either. So, dear listeners, the pledge goes out as it does every week. Please if you save think us. of a better name. Help it. Save will, us from ourselves. Go with it. So yeah, that is that one. So on from there, onwards and upwards. So shall we go into the news? Yes, I think the news is something we should go into. Uh, do you want to start us off today? Yeah, I'm quite happy to. So a couple of new trailers out this week are my two pieces of news, um, one of which I'm, we'll, we'll go th- through now. So there's a new trailer for a film called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Excuse me? Yes. <laughs> you, are, you do not adjust your sets, listeners. Uh, it is called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And it is a horror movie about Winnie the Pooh. So Christopher Robin evidently had abandoned Winnie the Pooh in the woods and, and his friends in the woods. Uh, and he, I think, feels guilty about it. And I don't know how many years, maybe 15, 20 years later, as a, as a young adult, decided to go and find them in the woods. And they've gone feral. Oh my god! And it's—I don't quite understand it. The trade is somewhat strange in that it the the Winnie the Pooh the Winnie the Pooh and the piglet and things look like like I don't know what people in like a heist movie would do, like wearing a Winnie the Pooh mask or wearing a piglet mask. Is that possibly to get around copyright laws? I think partially yes, but I also think budgetary yes, <laughs> because it doesn't look the highest of budget movies. It looks like a classic million dollar horror movie kind of thing. But also, and I think there is, I think there is, with it, I suspect that the stories now must be in public domain. Yes, they must be. Um, but obviously, I suppose Disney the, has a likeness, a likeness thing. rights for the specific drawings. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also I can't tell if it's meant to be like a bit of a. If there's going to be some twist and it's meant to be, well, obviously it's a parody, but if it's going to be, if it's meant to be that they aren't actually a pig and a bear, or if they are meant to be a pig and a bear, or if they're meant to be, yeah, I can't really tell from the trailer. So that looks like an interesting one to watch. Is it a real trailer for a real movie that's actually coming out? Yeah, yeah, this was on Empire. Oh my God. Because I thought that at first, and I thought... Because there was that guy, um, Adi Shankar, who's the producer of Dread, who used to do what these unlicensed films like The Punisher does his laundry and he'd get Thomas Jane who played The Punisher in 2004 to play the character who they couldn't legally call The Punisher but he wore a shirt with a skull on it and he would make several of these movies where they would simply sidestep all the uh, legal bits to make fun movies and that's what made his name before he went on to produce films like Dread and other real movies. Yep. But he made his name, so I was thinking it could have been that, but it sounds like it's a proper, actual, no, genuine mode yeah. of finding movies. If I'd have just found it on YouTube, I would have assumed it's that, or you remember when they did like the dark version of Dora the Explorer, or yes. the dark version of um, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which they then seem to make into a TV series, which is slightly beyond parody, but you know, they, they people have done these things. Uh, dark Fraser, that's one I've seen recently. Which it's I very funny, enjoyed. I've seen that one too. But, um, yeah, no, it seems to be a real thing. Wow. So I'm not sure if I can top that, but uh, <laughs> I'll give it a try. Um, the Telluride Film Festival is kicking off. I believe that's in one of the big film festivals in America. It's often where the first Oscar nomination hopefuls come and go. And reviews have just come out for The Empire of Light, 
which, uh, dear listeners, if you don't know us, um, we live in Kent and we're about a, th- a stone's throw away from Margate where the film was shot. And we went there several times and passed the exterior set of the cinema that um, the uh, film is set around, the, the titular empire. And we would see uh, fake film titles, oh, well, not real film titles, but uh, fake listings like uh, The Blues Brothers, Gregory's Girl, uh, Long Good Friday. And it was really fun to see Margate get turned into a, a film set. And the reviews have been very kind, especially for Olivia Coleman. And people are really saying that this is going to be Olivia Coleman. I think it's her third Oscar nomination, or it will be if she gets nominated. But they're saying it sounds like a pretty good certainty that she's going to get an Oscar nomination. Excellent, because she did. She won for the favorite, I believe, didn't she? she? Did. So she she's an Oscar winner. Yes, yeah. Getting it, a third nomination puts you up in the ranks of like the bestest of the best mm-hmm. of the best of the best. I, I, I mean, I was very excited about it as someone who used to go to the cinema that it's based at as a child, as you have been as well. We've yes. been seen movies there together, including Absolutely. the first Terminator movie, uh, Terminator, the first Transformers movie. Yes, um, I remember that. Which, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Was that the Simpsons movie? Maybe? I yeah, think that was the last movie. year because Death Sentence was the last film they played, the Kevin Bacon film, and there were articles saying, it's a death sentence for the Margate cinema. You know, they do those yeah. hacky, hacky journalism and yeah, so that was something that, yeah, something that kind of close to our heart. They, unfortunately, as with often happens, uh, a big world of cine or similar, it wasn't actually a world of cine, but opened down the road um, and I think killed it off. And it, it, well, they were interesting screens because they were these giant screens that I think back in the day used to have, we still had the organs that came out for silent movies that were still built in them and stuff. And the seats were like sitting on one giant spring that you would like balance yourself on. They were incredibly uncomfortable. They were, but it was cute and I liked it and they were cheap as well. I think it was like 350 or something to go and see a movie. It was very cool. It was nice to see films there. And so it was nice to see that back um, and that whole area, that whole front's very iconic, kind of as a British seaside mainstay. So now it looks, it does look interesting. And also my boy Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are doing the soundtrack again, who are probably my favouritest soundtrack artists. So, yeah. It's very uh, exciting. exciting news. I'm very much looking forward to the film. For sure. Speaking of films that I'm looking forward to, another trailer dropped this week. The full-length trailer for the Weird Al Yankovic movie called Weird. Yes, I've seen out. that. Yeah, and uh, it looks, it's looking good. Uh, I wasn't quite sure how autobiographical it was going to be from the first teaser trailer that came out a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, Daniel Radcliffe is playing uh, Weird Al Yankovic. It's also got Bill Hader and uh, another big cast of comedians in. It looks good fun. Um, <clears throat> and it's one of those movies that looks to be one of those movies that kind of closely, well, closely is the wrong word, kind of loosely follows <laughs> the um, the course of someone's life and career but takes somewhat artistic license. It seems to be very artistic liberties. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of there was a... About the time that Trump became president, I think, that Johnny Depp played him in a movie called The Art of the Deal that was for funnyordie.com. Yeah, I remember that. And then there was also... So there was that that was... uh, That kind of thing. And then there was... um, What was the other one recently that that kind of followed the same kind of track? Uh, oh. oh, the one uh, about the... I've forgotten his name now, which is bad, which is why I was, was going overhead. But the, the, the guy that formed um, 
National Lampoon. journalism here. Yeah, quality journalism. The guy that formed National Lampoon. Okay, I can't say I know his name, to no, be honest. Well, that makes two of us. Uh, <laughs> but they made it, uh, Bill Hader played him, uh, and it was felt very much the same kind of vibe. Cut here. Uh, yeah, we'll leave this in, because okay. I'm editing it and I can't be bothered. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's top-tier journalism. Um, but yeah, so the, anyway, there was this thing, Bill Hader played him, uh, and it had um, quite a, you know, a big host of comedy people in, but it was definitely, you, you had the outline of the, the person's life, but very kind of OTT comic around yes. it. And it feels like it's in that kind of vein. Um, and it's going to be on the Roku channel. That's it's going to be its main release. So that's a They're clearly aiming departure. to try and get into that sort of um, original content game. Yeah, they seem to, their, their kind of way to kickstart that seemed to be to buy up everything from um, a failed service in the states that got about existed for about three months had hundreds of billions of dollars spent that was on a big content. mess it was um and yeah they bought a lot of that for pennies i suspect on the dollar and uh or cents on the dollar and uh yeah fun 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 indeed and yourself well my your uh, second piece it, it's not news so much as it's a new release a tv show that i've been enjoying quite a lot it's on freebie which is one of those free apps that you get on Amazon Prime and you kind of you you don't opt into them they just happen to be there on Amazon Prime whether you like it or not and it's a new tv show created by Greg Garcia the creator of My Name is Earl and Raising Hope and it's a new show called Sprung about a bunch of convicts who were non-violent offenders and they're released from uh, prison because of the oncoming uh, COVID pandemic and because they're non-violent and they're worried about uh, prison, prisons being overcrowded, they release them. And the main guy is played by uh, Garrett Dillahunt, who people will know, uh, fans of Raising Hope, will know who played the, the wacky dad in Raising Hope. And he gets um, bed and board at uh, the house of Martha Plimpton, who also was in uh, uh, Raising Hope. And it's another one of Greg Garcia's wacky hillbillies, kind of lower class people, but with hearts of gold. And he does a very good line in this. This is kind of his bread and butter of humanising and sympathising with characters who are usually the butt of the joke in other sitcoms, like Raising Hope and My Name is Earl is about these kind of what would be charitably called trailer trash or, or white trash and giving them sort of like a, a little bit of heart. And it's, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, they sort of become these Robin Hood figures. They, they're only allowed to stay in the house of Martha Plimpton if they commit crimes. Um, but they decide that I'm not going back to prison. So if I'm going to do crimes, it's, I'm only going to rip off people who are really bad. And I'm going to give a little bit of that money that we rip off back to the people who deserve it, especially who are suffering because of the COVID pandemic. So slightly Robin Hood-esque. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's good fun. It's, it's really good fun. And Garrett Dillahunt and... Martha Plimpton are two of America's best character actors. They clearly work well with um, Greg Garcia. So it's a good match. And I think the Freevee channel allows him to go a little bit more R-rated with the content. And he's not restrained by um, ABC, NBC sort of networks or Fox networks. Kind of, It must be PG and nothing else. And it's good fun. It, I, I recommend it highly. Excellent. Excellent. And... Yeah, I think that brings us quite neatly onto our two films of the week, actually. And speaking of hillbilly trash, what is our old movie of the week? Our old film is Con Air. 
the Jerry Bruckheimer, although well, he obviously didn't direct it, but produced classic, in, in inverted commas, from uh, 1996, I want to say. No, it's 1997. Is it? Wow. Wow. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. And uh, what is our new movie of the week? We are pairing it with Top Gun Maverick, which we understand, yes, is a little bit older. It's been out for a few months, and I believe it has its home release now. It does indeed. It's just coming to home release, hence the reason we chose it, although we did see it in the Cineplex. In your case, three times. I did see it three times, although I don't want to kind of pretend <laughs> to be some Top Gun Maverick obsessed weirdo. It just happened to be that when it came out in June, I saw it as a new movie. Then I went to see my family who live up north in Durham and they up had a... Up north. Up north. And they had a foreign language student and he wanted to go see a movie and it was either that or Jurassic World. And I said, well... A film that I know can be enjoyed without having the best grasp on the English language. Jurassic World, a movie that is, from what I hear, impossible to enjoy. Exactly. I thought, well, I might as well enjoy myself because the movie is, you know, spoilers, good. Um, And that's the end of our podcast. Bye, (laughs) everyone. everyone. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) But it is good. And I knew that he could enjoy it because all the dialogue that there is, is high emotion... Very few syllables. I think other than the word maverick, which maverick has three syllables. <laughs> I had to check myself there. Pretty much all the dialogue is, you can't do that. Yes, I can. No, you can't. So I said, this is perfect for someone whose um, second language, or maybe even third or fourth language, is English. So it's basically the son of movies. Yeah. If you don't know, the, the, <laughs> the Sun newspaper was originally designed to, I think, have, not have words, to have more than two syllables. And I don't know if that still rings true today, but when it first... First went on the scene, it was meant to be easy and accessible. And should I take a stab at um, doing the synopsis? Go for it. Okay, well, luckily I am cheating a bit because I have IMDb open. Uh, and so after... Wait, wait, wait. I know, I know what movies is in. I know what we, I, I loved you in, I loved you in, I loved you in, I loved you in, IMDb. IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> so after more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Mitchell, Maverick, is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank. This is a terrible synopsis. I shouldn't have gone with IMDb. Yeah, why didn't you just make your own synopsis? Just make my own synopsis. So, man, after 30, plane, good. Man, plane, good. Enemy, after, bad. <laughs> after 30 years, they the military brass is trying to ground Maverick, but he's been given one more chance because of Iceman, who, those who don't know, an original Top Gun played by Val Kilmer, to train some new recruits for a big top mission. Unbeknownst to him, one of those recruits is the son of of Pete Mitchell or Maverick's old best buddy, Goose. As, and uh, the son is has his own call sign, Rooster, and he still harbours a lot of resentment towards uh, Maverick. And there's going to be a lot of trying to forgive himself along the way while teaching these young whippersnappers how to do this top, top mission. Exactly, yeah. That, that's a pretty good synopsis, I think, without giving too much away. And without trusting IMDb ever again. Yes, very true. Um, luckily, it isn't a film where you need to have... So the first week in our podcast, those of you that listened, we, we reviewed the movie Nope, uh, which is a film that's almost impossible to review without giving more than the trailers away. This is a film that I feel, if you've seen the original film... It is impossible to 
to uh, to, to ruin. Possible to spoil, really. Unless you really talk, just just lay out the last 10 minutes of the movie. Um, so, yeah. That, so, it's quite an easy one this week. So, that, that's good, at least. It is very good. Absolutely. So, what did I think of it? Yes, what did you think of what it? What did I what think What did of you it? think of it? For someone who's only seen it once, loser, <laughs> what did you think about it? I thought it was enjoyable. I think I think enjoyable is the word. It it it's almost a bit beyond review in that it's one of those films that it gets all the things it needs to get right right. The action's engaging. It's 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 pretty well shot, to be fair, for the most part. It's very pretty a lot in of, some places. A lot of sunsets, a lot of magic hour shots. Yes. A lot of jets looking cool. Obviously the big thing with this film, and it it, it partially is true for the original as well, is that they actually have the people in the planes, um, admittedly not flying them in the most cases, apart from there's a couple with uh, with um, Tom where I think he was flying bits and pieces, but for the most part not flying them, but actually have them acting in the planes um, while they were doing stuff, which is in the original as well, although it's in, to a far greater degree in this. Um, and it looks amazing. It, uh, there's no film, other films that really do this. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, incredibly impressive. Obviously, incredibly light on story, um, yes, which is kind of so. to be expected. Um, it is the the enemy in it is literally just an unnamed enemy. Is I suppose a way to sell There's it as many. Quite a lot of heavy possible. lifting is done by words like the enemy or the combatant or the you know whatever adjective they want to use to describe the the baddie. Like they don't want to annoy any one country because they know that a big chunk of box office could come from that country. Except that they really annoyed China by having him have, Maverick having a jacket on with the Taiwan flag on it at some point, but that's by the by. Uh, after It's a lot of effort to go through to, to not annoy someone. And in the end, and it sort of doesn't someone. really matter because <laughs> China and Russia have both closed up shop to American movies, for the most part, about 90% of which. Uh, because, you know, they really are clamping down. They're not letting most of the Marvel movies through. I'm not sure if they let... I don't think Russia... Through. I think Russia's... It's not out of choice, but... It's not out of choice. That's true. But um, because of everything going on with the war in Ukraine, um, it's unfortunate, but it is true that uh, those two countries have sort of clamped down uh, for various reasons. China by choice, Russia by not. Because those were two big box office things. And the only reason why decisions like this are made... The combatant is holding uranium in the space, which is sort of the nuts and bolts of the the why they're there. The only reason they make choices like that is because the global market is such a big thing that they don't want to annoy someone. But they could have just called it Russian because they didn't know, but um, unfortunately, or China. But still, um, here we are. And it is a little bit of a dent in the movie that they can't just say... Uh, like in the first movie, the Russians are holding the uranium and the, it will do the thing if it goes off. My my kind of thinking was he's still, whether you're going to sell films or, or not to China and Russia, Russia may be less so at the moment, but within in reason, these days in a globalised economy, you're still meant to be relatively friendly with other countries you're not meant to start like yes. stabbing them in the back anyway. So I understand the decision and why they've done it. And, you know, it's not the Cold War anymore. But there are countries like North Korea and things which are still massive outliers and I don't think would really offend anyone yeah, by, said, by saying North it's Korea. It's North Korea, okay? It's North Korea. No, no one's going to get annoyed about that. Now, does it detract from the film? No. But what it does kind of do is lead very much into the, the one 
major criticism I have of it is that it is quite bland. It is a bland film. It is like it's it's. I don't want to say lowest common denominator because because it's made expertly. Yeah, well. it's done so well and it is really engaging and I really enjoyed it. But it doesn't have any. The humour's very bland. It's just occasional top, occasional quip from someone here and there. The script is very bland. Like you say, it's all the two syllable things, and. And again, yeah, that's done to sort of uh, like the global market. Hmm. Exactly. One syllable dialogue. We can't do this mission. Yes, we can do this mission. And also, even but even things like yes, that okay. The the I think it's set in California. The, the majority of it that looks very beautiful, nice beach town, blah blah blah. But when it goes, when they go to, I don't think it's much of a um, stretch to say that they go to another country at some point in there to go and blow a thing up to do the mission to do the mission yeah um and that is um again very bland like it could be anywhere is it is it france is it is it asia is it and all we North know Africa? from the landscape is, it... is that it's snowy a lot of pine trees for um so it, you know it, it could be um in canada yeah exactly <laughs> for all you know so <laughs> it is damn canadians have gone too far i know they've gone rogue nuclear state <laughs> that trudeau but yeah it, 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 it so it just is it's very bland and the same thing the whole the romance in it's very bland it's very pg it's very by the book oh we better have this in here um let's just do montages of people looking smiling at each other and hugging and 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 again no dialogue and and that's the one thing so obviously the fighter jets things are absolutely amazing but everything around it is just so bland and simple and it's like you can see the cogs all or the fitting into into one of the yeah <laughs> the, the accountants with their charts going if you put that thing there and that thing there this thing will come and it is, it's a criticism I have had of some, not all, but some Marvel movies as well. And it, it, and it kind of is that it's more so, and okay, they're all a business and they're there to make money, but you can still throw a little bit of charm in or a character actor here and then you can, okay, Miles Teller's in, he can say he's a character actor or whatever, but yeah. But, you, you can know, throw a little edge in. Yeah, a little often. bit of fun, a little bit of like, and, and it's not going to alienate masses of audiences. I have to say I'm kind of the same because the first time I saw it, I was just sort of blown away by, whoa, the planes, whoa, just, wow, doing the thing. The second time, I still was enjoying that. I was, and, but I, I, I wasn't watching it for a second time out of choice. It was just like, that was the available movie for a foreign language student. That's the movie that works. And I was still enjoying the planes, but I found myself just thinking, this is the block, blockbuster, the blockbuster. It's, you know, everything about it is retrofitted to work. In fact, even my choice of saying, well, we should see uh, Top Gun Maverick over Jurassic World is kind of me admitting to the film's own cynicism that, you know, it's been retrofitted to be a global market film. Like, second, third language doesn't matter. The English is so simple a child could understand it. And it made a billion dollars and it was 36 years from the original 1. film. 1.4 billion dollars. Yeah. So I think I'm right in saying it's bigger than Spider-Man, whatever the newest one's called because they were annoying names. I don't want to say yes or no to that because I'll, we'll end up saying yes it is and Spider-Man will have earned 30 million but more. It, it's in the same range. It's in the but same range. But it's last sequels 30 odd years ago <laughs> and, and it's not a comic book movie and... Tom Holland, I would say at the moment, is probably a bigger star than Tom Cruise when it comes to... I think to overall, I think... Marketability, Tom anyway. Tom Cruise is, if you put him in an action film, he is... Grand he's Tom Daddy. Cruise. Yeah. 
But I think you could put Tom Holland in a romance and it would sell quite well. Tom, I think, yeah, I think if you if you kind of were to put Tom Holland in 10 random movies and you were to put Tom Cruise in 10 random movies at the minute over the next two years and divide the takings, the likelihood is the Tom Holland movies would yes, make more money. Yes, and across several genres as well where Tom Cruise action sell very well. Yeah. Everything else, like he could, he used to in the 90s, and the 80s, um, films like Jerry Maguire were only big hits because someone like Tom Cruise was exactly. out. But, but that's this, it. He's not, he's not his young self. Exactly. He is, he's now, he's the stunts guy. He's the guy that does all exactly. these crazy stunts himself and it looks really that's realistic. That's his reputation. And, and he knows that. Yeah. That's why he's only making films like Top Gun or Mission Impossible. And he is so good at it. Yes, as absolutely. well. Fair play to the guy. Like, um, I think as everyone did, maybe people got a bit tired of him in the mid-2000s when he was jumping on sofas and things and then he I wouldn't say reinvented himself because he always did these things but he kind of threw everything else away and said this is the guy I'm going to become and you know what fair play to him he's he's done it well and uh, absolutely but I think well, the, the point I was trying to make anyway is that for a film that's based on a 36 year old movie with a I don't want to say washed up but someone who's maybe passed his prime as a as a peak film star in a world where two of your biggest markets are closed down um, in a post-COVID world as well, where cinemas are struggling somewhat compared to what they were pre-COVID, to make $1.4 billion exactly. is pretty impressive. It's, it's huge. And it's his first billion-dollar film. And I think it was his first film to gross over $100 million in its opening weekend. Because he's usually the kind of guy that does the 50, 60, mm. sometimes 70 yeah, he's or 80. Yeah, legs because people go, actually, he's done some really cool yeah. stunts. You should go and see him. And especially because he's a guy that attracts older audiences that are ageing with him which, you know, it's not as condescending as I wanted it to sound, but it's sort of true. Um, they're not the type of audience that rushes out on the opening weekend. They're the type of audience that, well, some will see it opening weekend, some will wait until the second weekend or a midweek when they get a moment free from work, for example, or a moment free from the kids. And that's why he's not usually a hundred million, billion yeah. dollar sort of guy. Uh, just to highlight some things that I did think works... Uh, it's no secret that uh, Val Kilmer is in the movie because he's in the trailer. And a lot of people um, know this because there was a documentary about it and his film choices as of late have shown this. He had uh, cancer and his scene was genuinely moving. because It's a scene where he um, gives Tom Cruise some... some Iceman gives Tom Cruise some uh, advice and you you can't not think about Val and his life and his career and how he was a movie star that was similarly big in the 80s and 90s, and then that got cut short because of partly his own decisions as being a bit of a rambunctious, young, hot-headed youth, but also now because of his cancer, he hasn't been allowed to have the comeback that Tom Cruise kind of did in that same period, and it was very heartbreaking to see to see him like that. I also want to point out that um, Jennifer Connelly is the woman that he's paired with in this sort of by the numbers romance. I think this is the first time Tom Cruise has been, because he's usually paired with women past his 30s who are in, at most, their mid to late 30s. And this is the first time Tom Cruise has been paired with a woman in her 50s. And, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio would would crap himself at something like that. But, if, <laughs> but here we are. And there 25. Were, yes, exactly. There were jokes when um, Don't Look Up came out because he has romantic scenes with um, Kate Blanchett. And people were joking, it's like, you can tell he's, this is his most daring acting yet to date a woman <laughs> in, her, in her 50s. Wow. And I feel like, um, well, Tom Cruise has had a similar problem in films. He doesn't seem quite so forced 
here. He seems to be having a fun time. They have good enough chemistry. Um, but I think the young actors in this film were the real highlight for me. I think like uh, Miles Teller is a um, kind of emerging sort of character actor type. He had this rambunctious movie star period where he was one of the bad boys of Hollywood. But he seems to have really calmed down now. In interviews recently, he seems kind of quite calm and, you know, kind of easygoing. And he, he seems it's to be moving between into that. being a 20-year-old and a 30-year-old, Exactly, isn't it? exactly. We, we all, we've all been there. We've all had that period. But I think especially, I think my favourite of the cast members by far is a guy called Glenn Powell, who plays this sort of rival young hothead. He's kind of the Iceman to Maverick. This is a... Uh, he plays a character called Hangman, who's the rival to Rooster, who's um, Miles Teller's character. And I thought he was the one, he, he had the most fun. He chewed up the scenery in all the ways it needed to be chewed. And he is, I've always thought, I've thought this for a while, that Glenn Powell is an emerging character actor. And he's already worked with Richard Linklater once. He has another film with Richard Linklater coming out, as well as a couple of action movies. So I think he is moving into the action slash character. He's got that Ethan Hawke, because um, Ethan Hawke worked a lot with Richard Linklater. I think he has that Ethan Hawke thing that could be happening. He's Richard's new young man of choice. I think that could be cool. I see a lot of interesting indie movies from him. And he's really good here. He's chewing the scenery, smirking and being a bully and all that kind of stuff. And he's really having fun. And he was my highlight for the scenes that he was in. I also really, really always like John Hamm uh, when he's doing that role that John Hamm always <laughs> does, which is the person who, um, what should we, how should we say it, the authority figure who slightly falls out with the, the main yes, character. He does do that a lot. <laughs> he, that is that, or a, a kind of a weird comedy role is what, what John Hamm tends to do these days. So it's a kind of a film where watching the periphery and watching the supporting cast in a way had more charm to it than watching Tom Cruise do his thing. I mean, we've all seen Tom Cruise do the thing that he does, and he does it very well. But this time around, I was finding more pearls looking at the sidelines, looking at uh, Miles Teller, Glenn Powell, John Hamm, not so much Jennifer Connelly, whose job was only to smile and look pretty for Tom Cruise. But, you know, even even she knows she knows the routine. You know, she I, knows what she's doing. I actually really enjoyed Monica Barbaro as well, who... I'd known from a TV series called Unreal, which is maybe not that many people watched it, but it was a kind of I did watch that behind the scenes, very cool. like fake behind the scenes of one of those kind of bachelorette type shows in the states. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed that. I thought that was a, a yeah, a, a, yeah. So that supporting cast, that young cast was, especially, was were, they were really good to watch and they're emerging very well. I think. Yeah, I agree. It was, um, yeah. I, I think they were very entertaining. I think they did as much as they could do with the limited script and, and things they were given. Um, I thought, you know, the, the supporting cast and the people that came back from from the original movie were also very know, moving, interesting. I agree with you on Val Kilmer. I thought it was a nice little nod. It was nice to include him. I kind of got the feeling as well that it was a bit of a... I actually get the feeling that Tom Cruise possibly is quite a nice guy. Is what I, I mean, in my he, heart of hearts feel. He has feel. long working relationships. He does. And, he, and, and I think from that point of view, I think what I could see... Was so the the opening credits say produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. I mean, obviously, Don Simpson's been dead for a good twenty years, so one would assume that means that his family are getting money, and one would assume that you wouldn't put the name of someone who died on a sequel to a movie normally. You know, so in that maybe their production company, but not you know their name and and things like that. So it also kind of felt like he was trying to give some money back to some people for a film, which was one of the films that really made. Um, Tom Cruise famous originally. It's probably the first 
huge one because he'd been in big movies before and he was clearly going to be a movie star yeah but that film was the one that kind of cemented him as being that was the one and the, the action movie star. and the action movie star as well because he's done a lot more like romantic comedies and things like that yes in the, true in, in the past too so no it was it was and whatever risky business was well yeah but yeah it was kind of if it was to him what Die Hard was to Bruce Willis yes. it's that kind of Absolutely. thing that 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 really cemented his stardom, but also probably moved him into the, the area where he'd make his money. So, no, it it, it it worked. It was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I think it was good. And me too. And I will make another plea to please stop manhandling your microphone <laughs> and kind of pushing it around and it's, um, uh, patting it and harder it. for me because I have to use the laptop because I'm also the producer on this podcast as well as... And the editor and, and the... the Mr. Extraordinaire. Exactly. So I... He has to do seven jobs have to at do once. somewhat more. Um, so because of that, you must forgive me occasionally for, for touching the microphone, but that and is... And you must forgive me because I'm going to keep pointing it out. Yeah, exactly. For the comedy, for the lols, you know. Well, there's also seagulls now I can hear in the background. Yes, well, hopefully they won't uh, bleed into the mic, but if they do, we've, I, we've mentioned it. Absolutely, they were definitely in the mic. Definitely. I can hear them. We are down in the coast of Kent down here. Um, this so. is a, a rinky-dink operation, so you have to forgive some of the kind of crinkling and crackling. I actually think, compared to some of the, the big-name podcasts I listen to, the b- 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 Well, like everyone sounds sound like uh, over Skype. Oh, everything's perfect. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, recordings over Skype, don't like them. No, so we're not fans. Not allowed. But anyway, uh, I feel that that should move us on to our next movie. But before our next movie, we've got a little word from someone. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, cats and kittens. Um, this is Tom Waits. And I say you gotta listen to this um, cool new film podcast double feature with Callum and Johnny, you know, with the whores and the longshoremen. Get me another whiskey. Got a long podcast ahead of me. And thank you very much. Tom Waits. We've used Tom Waits already. Oh, well, I'm not sure. Not to spoil the magic for anyone, <laughs> but of course we recorded a bunch of these and we're going to run out of them quite fast. So we're going to have to come up either with a new gimmick or more impressions. So if anyone has any ideas for who they want us to do impressions of, please email those in, send those in. However, they do it in the 21st century. Or even better, if anyone knows any celebrities who want to do some voiceovers for our show... 
Um, send them away. Yeah, send them forward. We love them. We love celebrities. Uh, also, I don't know what you mean. Like they're the real people. Oh yes, sorry. No, it's not us. Yeah, it's the real, real deal. Anyway, uh, on to movie number two, and movie number two is the also Jerry Bruckheimer. I want to say it classic. Is. Yes. Um, this is the the link. If you haven't got it, is Jerry Bruckheimer. This yes. episode. Um, well. And Jerry kind of action, action films, films yeah. and yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, movie from 1997, Con Air. Now, Con Air stars Nicolas Cage in the lead role with a host, a host of high-profile and character actors in, in supporting roles. Love it. Um, yeah, massive. Um, John Cusack plays probably the second lead, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so John Cusack is a... Uh, Mar- U.S. Marshal, and for, for those Brits out there that don't know, U.S. Marshals are the people that move people between prisons. Um, I think also catch people. I think the Marshal Service does as well. I'm but sure anyway, they do other things. He, his job is to move people from prison to prison. Uh, and Nicolas Cage is the one of the prisoners that he has to move. Nicolas Cage, unfortunately, his character, just got out of the army. Uh, was going to meet his wife, just got back from a tour of duty, I think, in Iraq, I assume, looking at the footage at the start of the movie. It's certainly Desity. Yeah, somewhere like that, probably Iraq. Uh, And comes back from his tour of duty, goes to meet his wife in a bar, and some not-so-nice people are in said bar. His pregnant wife, I should say, as well. Uh, Some not-so-nice people are in this bar and take... don't like the fact that he's in the army and then don't like the fact that they he won't fight them. Uh, so they decide to attack him in the car park while he's walking back to the car. And in self-defence, he accidentally kills one of them. And as the judge says, because he's been in the army, he's considered a lethal weapon, just like Bruce Lee. Uh, he doesn't. They don't say the Bruce Lee bit. They don't. Um, which I'm not sure is a legal fact, but there we go. And he gets sent down for manslaughter for... For six to ten years. Yes. And doesn't meet his daughter. Important, important part of the movie. Um, so he it's his day to get moved and to, to be released from prison after, I don't know, it doesn't actually say how many years, does I it? I think it's seven. Seven, yeah, sounds seven. about right. Seven long years. Um, but he just so happens to be moved on the day that he that they decide to open a brand new Supermax prison. Ooh. And in opening this Supermax prison, they've decided they need to move all of the, the worst, the scoundreliest character actors from all the other prisons in the world. Uh, and, well, in the world, in, in the States. And they need to all be on this plane with, um, <laughs> with a, a set of not, particularly great guards it seems like a design flaw and uh yeah all these character actors um like steve buscemi john malkovich uh ving rames ving rames uh, dave chappelle who i don't know if you would call a character actor I but i enjoyed absolutely him. wouldn't but he's funny he is funny he is uh playing dave chappelle and many others uh and all hell breaks loose how do you like that synopsis? Does that, does that work? I think that's pretty good. I, uh, I think that's a very good way of summarising it. it. It signposts just how ridiculous the plot is. Like, that's such a design flaw. Let's put all the worst of the worst of the worst. And let's put three guards on there. And let's also put those nice, sweet prisoners as well. So you have um, Nicolas Cage as the sweet, 
father who who was in for manslaughter and it was you know so it was a horrible tragedy but you know it doesn't make him a bad guy along with his friend he has a friend in prison um who's diabetic he's diabetic and he needs his right? insulin which becomes this big plot point and they don't give him the insulin on the ride to the plane they say oh we'll we'll give you the injection once you're on but of course that's when all hell breaks loose along with some nice guards who aren't very good at their job or they probably are pretty good at their jobs but they're not prepared for dealing with John one Malkovich. of them is not very nice to be fair there and are you don't some, mind so much when he gets his guard yes he gets his comeuppance but it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter just how ridiculous this film is. This film knows how ridiculous it is. It's directed by Simon West, who does a lot of these kinds of films. He also directed The Expendables 2, which is the best of The Expendables. Not that that's a particularly high bar. But he knows how to direct this genre, and he directs it so well. And do you know his debut directorial debut? This was his... Oh, my, I didn't know that. That's what Wikipedia said to me earlier. Oh, wow. It is Wikipedia, well, he, so... He, we'll he clearly came out swinging. He knew how to make this movie without making it quite so self-indulgent as, say, Michael Bay or several of the other big 90s action movie directors. There aren't so many kind of lingering shots of women's bottoms or cars going, Whoa! as Michael Bay would have. He just kind of gives you the meat and potatoes. He... I, I actually, when watching it, it's quite hard to watch Jerry Bruckheimer movie without thinking of Michael Bay. Oh, exactly. He's probably his prodigal son kind of thing, him and Tom Cruise between them. Um, and I, I was kind of in my head comparing it as I was plodding through. And I think the movie, the, the, what this movie's strength is, so what I, and this is stolen from Mark Cohen somewhat, but what I kind of tend to think with, with, with Michael Bay is he does things He's like, right, I need some actors to do the actory bits and a couple of character actors. Then people think it's a really good movie. And I need a couple of... Um, uh, I need I need a couple of set pieces. I need a, a soundtrack and it's got to be... It's got to be, you know, rambunctious. I need some some, uh, some good-looking women in there to do some... some shots I need to have and I need some explosions and that's kind of how he he thinks whereas when I was watching this I was kind of thinking okay so they they've taken the same core we'll have some explosions which explosions is, is some for? character actors but, doing the fun yeah, things but actually they've gone we'll have more character actors we'll give them more to do we'll give them better scripts we'll give them better lines we'll have them interact with each other better it seems to enjoy putting these disparate crew of kind of sweaty villainy character actors together and putting them in the same it's it's clearly enjoying the fact that it's got these people rather than michael bay who's just has them there as a prop yeah exactly the character actor. they are that's it they, and and i think for it for all of these things because of that it's not bland for, for the thing that i would level at it's it's kind of scrappy. It feels in a way. It has that kind of like all these scrappy character actors almost trying to outact each other, which is just great fun. And reading the IMDb trivia, Danny Trejo said that they were all tough guy actors. They were actors who were known for being kind of big, muscly, tough guys. So there was a competition on the set. If one guy spat on the floor, the other guy had to spit further. If one guy went had an arm wrestle, the other guy had to come in and show that he was a better arm wrestler. There was a lot of uh, competition, but it sounds like it was all in the nature of good fun. Yeah, and what it, I it really appreciated, like we were talking earlier about how um, the jokes in Top Gun were kind of bland, very by the numbers quippy. The script was really enjoying the fact that it had some fun 
it, it's all kind of done in the name of fun. The dialogue is very chewy and very it's really fun. Chewy. And, um, especially it's great. John Malkovich, and it's knowing as well. So, for example, um, there's this whole subplot around a bunny, a, uh, a plush Put kind of um, the bunny in, bar- the, in box. the box. It, it, it has this uh, a toy bunny that he's trying to give to his daughter for her birthday because he's going to be released on her birthday, and. They it that bunny swaps hands between the villains, and there's one line where uh, John Malkovich picks it up, puts a gun at its head, and says, "Stop moving, or the bunny gets it." <laughs> After he's just shot his exactly, friend. and there's other bits of dialogue like where. You should have put the bunny back in the box after he's killed someone. <laughs> like it's just genius. There's other dialogue where. Um, the villains are interacting because they've got this plan to take over the plane, but they've got to wait until it's in the air. So they're, they're um, you know, they're not laying all their cards on the table immediately. And John Malkovich is interacting with, I believe it's Danny Trejo, and he says, "You're a rapist, aren't you?" There's no, there's no life form lower than a rapist. I, I equate you to the little white stuff that accumulates in the corner of your mouth when you get really thirsty. And it's like someone thought of that and had fun writing it down. And at no point does dialogue... I mean, it's all dumb, but it's not... There's a difference between dumb because it's stupid or dumb because it's by design. And this is dumb by design, and it's, but it's smartly laid out. There's a, there's a couple of actually really well done parts and there's there's a part early on when um uh, dave chappelle's character's being used as as human fodder and the john malkovich character says something i'm not going to say on the podcast but um something that negative against his race and also suggesting that he is a drug addict um and in a, in a much nastier term than i've just put it there and afterwards, the the um, Dave Chappelle character comes up and says, did you really mean what you said about that? And Dave, the Dave Chappelle character at the time has a gun. The John Malkovich character takes the gun from him and says, yes. And just little <laughs> things like that, that little kind of like taking the, the gun away before he says yes and doing those little things. And, and then purposely like showing him taking the gun. There's just some, some really well done bits in that. Things that um, a Michael Bay would not get right. They, the, 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 he, the problem with Michael Bay is it's like... What's funny in my films, I know, uh, uh, a robot pissing. It's all very juvenile. Yeah. To the point where it seems younger humour than the film's rating. So um, these films are, you know, it's a teenage kind of crowd. Teenagers, maybe young adults enjoy an action movie. And then in a Michael Bay film, you'll have some jokes about poopy or piss. You know, it's like, I and mean, that's for yeah. four-year-olds. Wee wee. Exactly. Um, and this film is, um, it's made some of the, some of the big, because Nicolas Cage is the king of the memes. And this film, like the one where he steps off the plane and his hair's blowing in the wind and he winks, that is one of the big memes and it's from this movie. But it's not, the thing about Nicolas Cage is that his whole career is being knowingly weird. And this is no exception. Which I would also like to say is John Cusack's career too. Yes. And it's kind of the fact, and they're both, John Cusack, slightly from a nerdier point of view, kind of re- realistically have some action star in them. And it's kind of quite having the two sides of the coin, the kind of more clear-cut, maybe weird, witty action star and the the weird action star. And, kind yes. of, and, it, and I quite like that kind of, that, that tandem between the two of them and having those two people. I think they're, they're great leads. And funnily enough, John Cusack hated this film. Oh, really? Yeah, he, <laughs> it doesn't he, surprise me because he's quite like... 
uh, he does pick some quite like. But there's quite an irony in it because at the well. time he was he really cared about his career, so he made this film because it was going to pay him a lot of money, and he could fund whatever indie he was doing next. You know, one of the films that he wrote, perhaps perhaps Gross Point Blank, it's made around the same time, um, and you know he said, "I care about my film projects." The John Cusack of 1997 is a very different beast to the John Cusack of 2022. Yeah. Will appear in any straight to DVD movie. He would kill for a. If someone gave him a Con Air now, yeah. he would be running to it. Uh, speaking of character actors, one that uh, doesn't get mentioned as much because he's not one of the guys on the plane is Colmini, who plays the DEA agent who has a lot of sparring matches with John Cusack. And again, they have some great dialogue between each other, some, yeah. some great little quips, some great little moments. And yeah, I, I do love him, actually. I think he's a, he's a great actor. He was in a film a couple of years ago where he played Jerry Adams um, called The Journey, about the, the kind of the 97 piece process in Ireland. And it was, yeah, he, he is actually, he's an excellent actor. Oh, he's an excellent he turns actor. up in anything, he, he's great fun. Yes. And this is the kind of film where there'd be no wrong answer to who's your favourite character actor in this film? Someone, one person might say Colmini, one person might say uh, John Cusack, one person might say uh, John Malkovich, and no, there is no wrong one. Even outside, like, he doesn't have a huge amount to do, but even Steve Buscemi's character is incredibly menacing. And, yes. And, and, Horrible. Followed by a couple of great comic moments with him as well. Yeah, it's a... Particularly the post-credits It's scene. a strange character. Of course, um, you know, we, we spoil these movies. He plays a uh, paedophile. Um, and M- slash murderer. Slash murderer. He was wearing the little girl's head like a hat, driving across state lines with it. And that's one of his pieces of dialogue. So he is incredibly creepy. But also, he's the one person who seems to sneak out the back and everyone forgets about. And yeah. there's a great post... Is, well post-movie scene um, of, of him at a, a roulette table in Vegas. The, the movie ends in Vegas. Um, and it's, uh, it, he, it's the, the person says, are you feeling lucky? And it just pans up to him, yes, and throws the dice. And then, then it cuts to him winning, I think, doesn't it? And yeah, uh, it is, it's just, it's, it's great character actors having fun with a silly script. Um, and the one other thing that I just miss for movies is practical effects. If you made this movie now, it would look like bland CGI soup, the whole thing. Uh, whereas really... this was all practical effects. Have you, there's a great videos online of them, the model that they used for the plane crashing into um, Las Vegas and things. Okay. And they just look so amazing. I love miniatures. They really don't make them like this anymore. Uh, and I know that sounds like a kind of really boomery old man thing to say, <laughs> but it is true that yeah. this kind of action movie is not around. I mean, someone like Nicolas Cage, he's a weird-looking guy. He's not handsome in tra- the traditional sense, at least. Well, what I was kind of thinking of the, the movies that it's closest to that come out now are the ones that seem to always have The Rock and Ryan Reynolds or The Rock and Kevin Hart on on um, Netflix that cost yes. about $100 million, um, have a silly plot, um have kind of someone who's a bit comic and a bit weird is one of the leads um, and then has some badly written jokes in it. But the difference is that the jokes are nowhere near as good. They don't land as well. I'm not saying the jokes in this are a masterpiece, but they just work quite well for the characters. I found myself laughing a lot. Yeah. I also would say that it's quite an ensemble cast as well, whereas they that they're not, they are those two leads with occasional, someone will pop in for a scene here or there. And in a kind of more linear thing, they don't kind of pick up this, you know, it's it's like a, a 
there's always it's almost like well, a comedy movie where there's a joke a minute because it can just cut away to someone else like they'll cut away to Dave Chappelle and he'll say something funny or it'll cut away to someone else and they'll say something funny I'd say the um, only person who can kind of gets away with it today is someone like Jason Statham who while being huge when he has is more of an ensemble man he's someone that you put in to a um, Fast and Furious pack or into the pack of you know whatever it might be mm. but every so often he does get a leading role and it's decidedly more B-movie than the A-list movies that he's the ensemble yeah. of. And they're a bit weirder, but even those aren't quite as fun as this. It's they're just all... I think movies now, not all movies, but movies, that $100 million budget movie now is um, it's very formulaic. It's and very... French, they're based on Marvel movies or DC Comics or a remake or a, or a sequel. They... Yeah, to have an original idea like a con air just doesn't really happen anymore. Well, I don't necessarily think they're original ideas. Well, it's not, <laughs> not I think original. Like when you look at Air Force One, yeah, well, or, not, not original in the sense that. Uh, but, and they're still, and they are formulaic, and you know, maybe I'm giving it too much rope, but they are formulaic in that it's a premise is set up, a thing happens, you introduce all the characters, a set piece happens, there's a bit more of a story, and then there's another set piece happens. And then there's usually a big set piece at the end. And that's that, you know, that's what they, and that was all Jerry Bruckheimer films and things. But what I think is different is in the 90s, you used to get a lot of almost, it's almost quite, it's almost high concept. Oh, they were high concept. And you get a lot of these things. Like, think of all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies from the 90s that were just ridiculously high concept, yeah. like Last Action Hero or, um, or, any of them basically any, they were any allowed movie to be weirder done. in a yeah. way that uh, they, they can't today and they didn't have to be connected to it they didn't have to be part of a franchise they didn't have to whereas now is it part of a you know is it part of a shared cinematic universe is it based on a a, a, a TV series from the 60s is it based on you know it has to be no one, no one is allowed to do an original idea and then they just try and cram this other idea into a very basic box and they'll get Ryan Reynolds because he's a bit funny and a bit action. Or they'll get, and I like Ryan Reynolds. I'm just going to put that out there. But just this, from a, an accountant point of view, they'll get The Rock because he's The Rock. And then they'll get a female lead into either Anna D. Armas or um, uh, Again, Gal Gadot. Her, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, one of them. But they're decidedly, they're, they're famous, but they're not, they couldn't, not yet at least, lead a movie and then, that didn't have a franchise attached You might to be lucky if you get one or two character actors thrown in for good measure and then everyone Usually else... the boss or yeah, the, exactly. the chief. And then everyone else... And then you might get like a... a, a, a you know, a, a celebrity that's a singer or something random that's put in there for a couple of scenes to, to yes. spice things up. And, it, it, you know, whereas this is like, let's just get all of the character actors we can get. Let's just get two... Or big action guy and... Uh, Another per another person who's a, you know, quite famous for the leading man. We'll have a bonkers script. We'll have loads of practical effects, and we'll have some good funny lines. And it'll be well edited and well put together. And it'll yeah, just be a fun a very roller coaster. Tight two hour running time. Uh, the only, not even necessarily a flaw. It's just where films of these high concepts action films tend to come a little bit unstuck. And the same with speed. Uh, for a film called Con Air. It's great when there are things happening surrounding the airplane. But once they land in Vegas and have the final showdown outside of the airplane, it starts to lose a little bit of its charm, I think. And the same with speed. When they get off the bus, yeah. it loses a little bit of its charm. But it's not long, is it? Like, how, many, how many films do you watch now and there's three endings? Well, quite. This one has the main ending and then you kind of think it's ended and they could have ended it 
I can see a way they could have ended it a bit smoother, personally. But then there's a five-minute bit that there, doesn't need to be there. There's a five-minute final It's action, fine. Five to ten-minute final action dush up And that's the one where there's just one step too far. My, my guess is that they had the script, and Jerry Bruckheimer probably went, we need one more explosion. One more thing. Take it off the plane so that we can have a high production value. So... Do it surrounding Vegas. That would be cool. Yeah, Vegas would look sick. Yeah. And it looks it look awesome. It looks sick. Let's go for that. Big line of cocaine. Exactly. Uh, and that was the 90s for you. So that is why movies in the 90s were better. I don't actually think that. The I think damn there's... kids with their Marvels and their TikToks and their MySpaces. They don't know how good they had it. And will they get off my lawn? I know. But anyway, uh, on that note... Let's do some rounding up. So, Callum, what out of 10 and why would you give Top Gun Maverick? I think if you would ask me the first time I saw it, I would have said an 8 out of 10 because I was so mesmerised by those planes. I was so mesmerised by the action. And I was like, whoa, you can see that it's real. When they take off, the the plumes of of sand go in the world. Those are actual planes. (laughs) What? Um, for the second and especially the third time, I found the creaks started to creep in a little bit. Um, and it doesn't detract from the overall enjoyment of those actions, which still gave me that sense of for blimey, they did that in actual planes. Governor, whoa, what's go- planes? But the other stuff surrounding it that isn't about the kids, uh, who I really enjoyed watching them interact kids they're, they're older than us um but, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think they quite are but they're about i the think same 32 age. 30 they're, they're, yeah around the same age um if only we had muscles like glenn powell and um and the others i mean this wouldn't is wouldn't that be wonderful an audio medium for all the for all the they know no we could we're have. ripped and shredded but for that reason i'm knocking a point off and taking it down to seven out of ten interesting i'm going to be controversial if it was just a film with, like, really sick plane scenes for two hours, it would be 9 out of 10. But I think everything around it is quite poor. And it also... Well, poor, maybe poor's too... More um, standard. Standard, yeah. Poor. It's not, and nothing not expected. That is my biggest cine crime. I'd rather someone shoot for the stars and come up with... Which is probably why the score I'm going to give... Conair is quite high, <laughs> probably higher than it deserves. <laughs> but that's another. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, and yeah, I, I suggested to preface it. I absolutely adored um, the the plane scenes. I think it really hung together well. But I thought there was, if you're going to do the stuff in between the plane scenes, so standard and so boring. And I did find myself kind of almost clock watching in some of those bits. Get, just don't have them. Just get rid of them. Me just, too. Just, just, just get rid of the love bit. Get rid of the Jennifer Connelly. Don't need it. Who cares? It's not well done, so I can't imagine that it's going to be get a new quadrant in. I can't imagine when we're going to go and watch it. Because, because of Jennifer of Connelly. Yeah. yeah. They'll go and watch it because that's something they may enjoy, the whole film. But I can't imagine that, that that's the thing that they're going to go and watch. So anyway, because of that, it's perfectly serviceable, and I enjoyed it, and it was a good two hours, but six out of ten. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh, goodness, goodness, gosh, goodness, I can't even come up with the word. <laughs> well, I've astounded you. I've astounded you. <laughs> should we you. move on to Con Air? I think we should move on to Con Whiplash. And so, Callum, thoughts on Con Air? Oh, Con Air is just a joy. It really is. And I really do enjoy those movies. Even, frankly, some of the Michael Bay ones like uh, Armageddon or uh, 
I like The Rock. The fair. Rock and, you know, that 90s oeuvre of action movie really does, does tick all my boxes. And I am a character actor obsessive. And Johnny knows this. That, you know, if a, a character actor is in a film, my toes will wiggle, my eye become, ooh! So to see Ving and Steve Buscemi and Cole Meany and, and uh, John Malkovich and all the gang, you know, just kind of sparring with one another, that was just a joy. The only the tiniest of you know not even a criticism is that it it's about 10 minutes it ends 10 minutes after it should have ended uh but i'm going to give it a very high rating i forgot how much i did enjoy this film i'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 well high rating indeed um yeah i i agree with you all those things i even have a soft spot for the first transformers movie which goes to show the very first one is okay it, yeah it hangs <laughs> together although it does probably it's only going to be a 6 out of 10. That Not this. This is going to be much higher. Uh, the, the Transformers movie would probably still only be a 6 out of 10 because it has the same issues as Top Gun. But it's enjoyable. I like this kind of big, dumb action movie. If you can get a few quips in there, and like Callum, if you can get some good character actors, it's great. And it's the perfect Sunday afternoon movie. I Absolutely. really, really love it. And I know it's not, the, it's not the greatest reviewed movie in the world. And I can't... Under, I think... Some of that, it's not, I know it's not It's not a high art, you know, it's not... It has, say, 52 on Metacritic. Yeah, I think 57 on IMD, on um, Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is mean. I think I think people, some people must just be snobs. I think it really <laughs> To some degree, box. yes. But, you know, they, it's, they've not watched The Favourite, and they, because they've not watched The Favourite, it doesn't deserve a 9 out of 10. But on this podcast, we don't care about these things. We don't give a monkey. And I'm also going to give it a 9 out of 10, because I bloody love it. I, I think it's great. I loved it too. I, and I, I love really, it when we come together. And I, yeah, absolutely. So on that, that means that Top Gun has an... Did you say eight for Top Gun? No, I said I would have given it an eight, ah, but I knocked it down to a seven. Okay, so somewhere between a six and a seven, because we're not allowed halves. And uh, <laughs> I think for the roundup, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a, it's a that's medium five. average. Yeah, so that's a six, six and a half. And for um, Top Gun, uh, for Top for for. Uh, um, Can't Can't air. air. That means nine out of ten. So well done to you, Jerry Bruckheimer and team. Well done indeed. Uh, and that that is the end of our show today. So I've been Johnny, and I've been Johnny as well. And cheery ho. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.